0: Welcome to Episode 31 of the Tech Done Right Podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. I've got a couple of new things in the intro this week that I'm very excited to tell you about. First off, TableXI is now offering training for developers and product teams uh, with topics including testing, improving legacy JavaScript, career development, agile team processes, and a couple of other things. Uh, Many of these workshops are going to be led by me. And if you want more information, you can email us at workshops at tableXI.com. We've talked about TableXI's career growth strategy on the show a couple of times, and by the time you hear this, we will have a website with information and techniques that are absolutely free and that you can use to improve your team's career growth and goal strategy with very little investment on your team's part. You can find that at stickynote.game. Again, we'll have some free information at stickynote.game. Finally, and more personally, my book, Rails Test Prescriptions, is, as you listen to this, either actually out in the world or very close to being out in the world. The book is up to date with the latest Rails RSpec and Minitest features and has some great non-dogmatic content on how to get value from testing your Rails applications. You can buy Rails 5 test prescriptions at pragprog.com or wherever fine technical books are sold. Today on the show, we have Neil Patel. Neil is a digital marketer and the co-founder of Crazy Egg, Hello Bar, and Kiss Metrics. He's been called one of the world's best online marketers. He's also a serial entrepreneur who's worked to bring a lot of products into the world. I wanted to talk to him about that process, how he comes up with an idea, builds it out with the design team, and then interacts with the development team to make it real, and how he refines it by talking to users, looking at metrics, and iterating over time. Neil works differently with his developers than some of the other product and marketing people we've had on the show. He's got a different perspective on how to build products, um, and I think you'll find it interesting. Here is our show with Neil Patel. Neil, uh, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Hey, everyone. I'm Neil Patel, serial entrepreneur,
1: marketer. Blog at neilpatel.com. Co-founded Crazy Egg, Hello Bar, a few other analytical companies, and I just help people grow their businesses and get more traffic online.
0: Great. And what I wanted to start talking to you about is through all of your serial entrepreneurship, you have worked with a lot of different developer teams and a lot of different developer consultancies, right? And I wanted to talk a little bit about what makes a good relationship between you as the the entrepreneur and the development team that you're trying to grow the business with. So why don't we start with what do you look for in a development team or in your relationship with a development team?
1: Yeah, I'm a bit different. A lot of people who look for dev teams look for how much are they paying per hour, what's their skill level, and I do look at what their skill level is. I more so look at how good are they how fast are they, and how hands-off can I be? So for me, the most important part of a dev shop is the ability for them to figure out what to do, and they should be able to know what to do that's best for the business. That's what I'm looking for.
0: So what kinds of things do you do in your initial interaction with a team to try and ramp them up to the point where they do understand
1: your business vision? Nothing. I only pick dev shops who can figure it out on their own. It costs more money, But let's talk about my interaction with you guys. I had an intro call for maybe 30 minutes to hour max. And then you guys were off to the races. Sure, there was weekly calls or you dealt with the project manager on my team. But you guys would do research. You guys would tell us what kind of solutions, what people have in the marketplace, what we should be doing, etc. And that's what I typically look for. And being blunt, you already know this. You guys aren't the cheapest per hour. But that process fits really well with me, right? I'm looking for speed and I'm looking for someone who can figure out everything on their own. Because I don't look at it as how much I'm paying per hour. I'm looking at how much I pay for the output. And that's been a good experience so far with you guys. And maybe I'm a bit different because I like being hands off. But um, that's really why I pick dev shops who can figure things out on their own.
0: From your perspective of being hands-off, what do you like to have as, as sort of reassurance that things are going well over time? Like, how, do you, how does that relationship develop? What, what makes you feel like the team is getting it? Like, how do you like teams to report that information back to you? I can see it in the product. It's that simple. If I can't log into a URL, a staging URL,
1: or the live website, and I can't see things working, then for me, it's
0: not working. It's not up. There's something wrong. Are you looking then for teams that have developers with experience building a lot of these? Pro- like, I guess what I say is like, what kinds of things have you seen be successful in this? Is it uh, developers with a lot of experience? Is it, develop- is it teams that have strong project or product management internally? Is it people that are, it seems like you're not looking for communication skills exactly. Well, to clarify,
1: I am looking at communication skills because people with bad communication skills will, there'll be delays and they don't ever tell you why. I'm more so looking for, I pay you X dollars, you told me you're going to give me Y, give me Y, and give me Y without the delays. That's it, and that's fair, because if I'm paying a premium, that's what I expect. I'm also looking for people who are smart, experienced, and they can figure things out on their own, from doing research, to loving the product, to loving the idea, and they just want to get it out because they love seeing that progress and momentum themselves as well. And of course, what I found is this is very effective when you try to go after small teams. If you go after big teams, this doesn't work too well because big teams cause too many delays. So what, what
0: in your experience, causes big teams to
1: have delays? It's just too much overhead. It's a Facebook rule. If you can't beat a team on a pizza, then something's wrong.
0: So I guess it's important for you then to have developers that really are enthusiastic about the idea itself, Yes, I I want them to
1: be enthusiastic about the product, like it, believe in it, because if they don't, then they're not going to do as good of a job trying to figure it out on their own. Keep in mind, none of this really works well without a good project manager, right? Without a good project manager, everyone's running around like a chicken with their head cut off.
0: Where do you normally put the boundary between you and the development team? Do you normally own the project management? You normally, I assume, you own the product vision How much of the details do you typically want to own on your side?
1: Internally, we always have one person who just manages the whole process and they just communicate with us on how things are going. And yes, that person will help direct vision, manage expenses and budgets. Uh, And on your end, of course, you guys usually are dev shops, most good ones. Also put in a project manager or product manager, whatever you want to end up calling it. I don't know what the right term is. And they just make sure that everything's going on track. So,
0: what do you see as an early red flag that things might not work out? Like, what has been, in your experience, a bad indicator of future results? Missing deadlines and making excuses. If
1: they continually miss deadlines and continually make excuses, I don't really care because I didn't give them the deadlines, right?
0: Yeah, I was, that was my that was my next question was where does the deadline where does in the way that you work with the dev team is the dev teams are setting their it's a deadline against their own estimates right correct in the process of creating that estimate with the dev team do you do it in stages so that you see how much trust you can have in their estimates over time how much the information do you like to get it up front
1: no no no. everything is all about using you know the MVP the Eric Ries lean startup methodology and just like iterating going really fast and doing it in very small stages i don't want one week timelines i want few day timelines
0: it's on the development team to break down your vision into two or three into into small few day level chunks um that they feel like they can deliver and then start to deliver that on on a sort of a routine rhythm that you can get that you both can get used to is that what is that what it feels like when it's going well
1: Yeah. it's If they keep meeting the deadlines, they can figure out the vision. They can figure out without having too many technical glitches. Because even if they meet the deadlines doesn't mean it works perfectly. But yeah, assuming they're into it, they're moving fast, there's very little errors, and they're being thorough and they're testing and all that kind of stuff, then you keep expanding the scope and you go from there. But I test dev shops out in small chunks. If you do anything too big, you're just going to lose a lot of money. You start off with a small piece of what you hope will be a larger project. Is that Correct. Like, I I remember one of my first times hiring a dev shop. What ended up happening is I paid them and they started the project and within 30 days they helped me scope out everything beforehand and they're like, oh, this is going to cost three times more than we estimated. I'm like, all right, you guys are useless.
0: What, uh, it was just more complicated than they thought or they had made some mistakes early on? No, more complicated than they thought. They're good guys. It's just I didn't
1: work with them again because it's like if you scope everything out with me ahead of time and then you tell me we agree to a budget and we do a contract and then you tell me it's going to cost like two, three times more. It's like, I don't
0: care. I'm done with it. You come to the dev shop with a vision, right? And then there's something that must be going on with you and your team. No, I don't come with the vision. I come with the vision, designs,
1: wireframe, and then right go and develop. Because so, if it's not scoped out, you're going to end up wasting your time with the dev shop. i am big on scoping it out before. Of course, things change, but you should scope it out and do all the wireframes and designs as much as possible.
0: So what is that process? So that's a process that I don't normally have a whole lot of visibility in because I'm normally i normally come in as a dev- as a developer. So where do you start? Like what makes you think, "Oh, this is something that needs to exist in the world?" And then what are the first couple steps that you do towards beginning to flesh, out, flesh it out?
1: What I usually do to flesh it out is internally we hire a design company, someone who actually first does wireframes and or prototyping. We tell them what we want. They end up wireframing it. We go over revisions of it to try to make it more usable. We get feedback from ideal customers. Once we've continually fine-tuned it and tweaked it, then we get into
0: design. And then once it's designed, we send it to the developers. First of all, you come up with some sort of idea. And, and can you just, let, like, what would be, pick a product for to talk sure,
1: about? Sure. Let's make an SEO tool that helps you optimize and analyze your site so that way you can get more search traffic.
0: Okay, so you started with an idea that this was something that you were doing. Were you scratching your own itch here, or or was it coming from something that you saw people struggling with? Both. So once you had that, you start doing wireframes and then testing the wireframes. Were you doing formal UX kind of testing? No,
1: we just talk to people and find out what they think. Yeah. We're not doing, like, their testing or anything like that. We're not that – at least – I'm not that sophisticated. My business partner, Ethan Shaw is really much more sophisticated than me, but I'm like quick and dirty.
0: After you get a couple of people to sort of prove the idea out, you go from the wireframes to the designs. And at that point, the designers, you have the designers work in advance of the developer team. Correct. Yes. Does that mean that most of the developer teams you work with and you don't expect them to have design resources at their disposal? No, your- I expect them to because UI and stuff changes as you develop because
1: you find that certain things can't work certain ways or it's not as usable.
0: How sophisticated then or how complete do you normally have the designs? Like, What's your design deliverable to a developer team normally? My design deliverable to developers, wireframe, scope, and
1: design completed. I usually even code up the front end of the design as well.
0: Well, yeah, the complete design, is it delivered as, it's delivered as as uh, CSS or is it, you know, delivered as a screenshot mockup, you know, screen layouts? Like, how do you like to work in that?
1: Yeah, no, like design coded and it's off to them. If they want to recode it using some framework instead of basic HTML and CSS, that's up to them. Like if they use React or whatever it's called, right? But I keep it really basic and simple. I provide them designs that are even coded up.
0: So the developer team does its work. It moves forward. How do you take that product out into the world and and try to build up an audience? Like what are some of the techniques that you find effective?
1: Well, Launch a product on Product Hunt. Push it out on there. Push it out on like Reddit, Facebook. Uh, Go find your closest competitors. You may not have direct ones, but go find the closest competitors. Go to hrefs.com, put in their URL, and you'll see who talks about them. Literally, just manually hit up each of those people and try to get them to talk about you and promote you and discuss you as well. So it's just like ground force outreach. Same thing you can do, even do it with PR. You can look at like sites like TechCrunch and Mashable and Business Insider, which journalists and authors are talking about specific, somewhat competitive products and then pitch them on talking about you. It's like, it's a grind but that's how you market. Marketing is not like a magic wand where you wave it and in, you're instantly popular. It's just hitting the pavement and doing thousands of little things that add up to something big.
0: What's changed about that process in the last year or so? Like, How is that process changing? Is it, is it harder to get your message out now? It's not harder. There's more channels. It's just more competitive
1: in which if your product isn't good, it's gonna be you're gonna have a hard time getting your message out. If your product's good, you won't have as hard
0: of a time because there's so many mediums and channels. But Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah, I guess my experience is that it is very it's increasingly hard to break out of the noise in terms of getting people's attention over channels that would have been more effective a couple of years ago. Do you find that to also be the case? If your product is amazing, no. If it's crap, yeah. So okay. How do you convince people that your product is amazing? Like
1: uh, like what did Slack do? Slack didn't tell everyone our product is the best. Use it. Their product just is really good, right? Like a good product markets itself. Everyone thinks that the best, you know, like, oh, let me have the best marketer and they'll promote it. Yeah, you can do that. But it still doesn't have a mediocre marketer and the best product.
0: I mean, you do products that are like. SEO optimization and things like that you must think that those those techniques have some benefit at least at the margin in getting your products to people's attention right Yeah of course uh, you can do SEO you can do pay per click advertising but
1: again those are like think of them as bandages yes you should do them but putting you know doing them with a crap product won't guarantee success doing them on an amazingly good product will guarantee success
0: how hard do you find it typically to get those people to pay attention to your new product like you, know, you say like uh, find the people that are talking about your competitors and get them to, to start talking about you like that becomes a part where I, I had this conversation with somebody who specifically talks about developers marketing content um, and we were talking about things that are effective and things that are comfortable does it help to have a personality where you're comfortable? With that sort of outreach, is it challenging? Do you find people, the, the targets of that, receptive? Like, how does that play out? Like, I, you know, this is a, a part of, of the, the product world that I don't normally touch, and I just don't have like a very strong ideas about how, very strong understanding about how it works or how it feels from the point of view of somebody who's practicing it.
1: Yeah, usually if people are using your product and they're getting value from it, you're good to go and it's easier to promote. If someone signs up for your product and they're unable to figure out how to use it, which is too complicated, the onboarding flow is messed up. And most of it revolves around the onboarding flow, then you're shit out of luck. But that's typically what ends up happening, which good onboarding flow, people find value within the first you know few minutes of using it. You're good. If it takes them too long to find value, even if it's a great product, that's where you're not going to do well.
0: What kinds of things do you like to have uh, in an onboarding flow? You you mentioned Slack, and I remember one of the things I remember about Slack the first time I used it was that they had a very nice onboarding flow, you know, the tutorial that sort of walked you through all the different pieces of it that was, certainly we got a lot of requests to do similar things. Like, are there specific things that you like to see, that you like to put in your products to improve that kind of first experience?
1: Yeah. Tutorials, walkthroughs, they're all really useful. You know, um, my co-founder Heath and Shaw taught me this as well, putting like a get started area and you're onboarding and doing like a checklist and listing out what they need to do and complete in that order that helps quite a bit. So just doing things like that really help improve the experience because people know what to do. But the key is to give them some sort of benefit as quick as possible. If it takes too long, you're going to lose people.
0: Is thinking of what that initial benefit is part of your initial idea with a product? Or is that something that emerges as you see your first test users kind of work with a a tool?
1: Uh, It's usually as your test users come through, you can keep tweaking and adapting. And it could take many cycles before you get there. It's not that easy to just have an amazing onboarding flow. Even if you're an amazing product person or developer or designer, you usually are going to have to keep tweaking and testing until you get it right. And then once you get it right, that's when you push the pedal on the marketing efforts.
0: Have you ever been excited by what users found interesting or exciting about a tool when you thought the real value was going to be in some other? Yeah, of course. Because when you find
1: the real use cases and why people are using or why they're excited, you're then able to take that and push your product or center around that. So that way you're delighting more people.
0: Yeah. So can you give an like What's an example of that? where you discovered over time uh, what was exciting? Sure. So we have a keyword tool and
1: we thought people just wanted more suggestions. What we found is they didn't just want more suggestions. They wanted to know what keywords to target that were the least competitive when it came to SEO. And once we learned that, then we were able to focus the results around, hey, here's what you should target versus giving them a thousand suggestions. And then, from there, people just started really focusing and started using the tool because it was much more actionable, and they didn't have to go through you know hundreds and hundreds of results
0: How do you know when you found that nugget when you found that that thing that makes the product great or that little detail that really has helps it stand apart?
1: Well, you just keep testing and iterating until your numbers that your goals are your kPIs are going up from. You know, daily active users to people doing paid trials to paying whatever it may be. And it's not always clear, but through a lot of iterations, you'll figure out what people like or what they don't.
0: Have you ever had a case where you just never found it? Like, how long do you put cycles into something if you can't, if you're not sure if you've actually found the heart of it?
1: You can end up putting a year into something. You can put less, you can put in more. It's really up to the entrepreneur. I don't like wasting more than six months, but that's just me.
0: Once you have users, do you find that dealing with users and making sure that their needs get met over time, do you find that's a different skill set than acquiring the users in the first place?
1: Yes. Meeting their needs, uh, making them happy is definitely a different skill set than acquiring. Acquiring is more like marketing uh, I would say meeting their needs is more like product focus.
0: So what kinds of things do you do with a successful product to try and keep up with users and, and their needs?
1: You just keep interviewing people. You keep, uh, looking at the competitors. You keep serving people. You just got to stay on the market and not necessarily just look at what they need, but more so where the market's going and try to adapt and make sure that you're always going to solve their future pain points.
0: How do you see your interaction with your developers or with your users? Like, Are there any pieces of this that change the kinds of experiences that you're trying to provide to users or uh, change the way that you're developing the ideas for them?
1: Nothing really changes over time. Like, If there's some new methodologies or stuff, yeah, we'll start using them. But more so, we just look at what are the best practices and we just keep trying to follow them. So we're not really trying to invent anything when it comes to dealing with product or uh, dealing with engineers or the process. We just
0: try to follow the best practices. Uh, The best practices in terms of like, you know, lean product development and, and the kinds of marketing things that you've already talked about. Correct. Yes. What do you think that people should know about marketing their own products? Like what do people get wrong that frustrates you when you see people try and do it?
1: Well, frustrates Me, when people try to work with developers or create product, is they believe they know everything and they just build whatever is based off their gut. You should always, always, always talk to potential customers. People use competing products and get other people's opinions and then go from there. You're not building a product for yourself. You're building it for others. So make sure you talk to people.
0: In interviewing users, do you ever find it hard to distinguish what they think they want from what they actually need? I think it is very
1: hard. I'm not good at that, uh, and I don't know how to do that. But a good product,
0: uh, people can eventually end up figuring that out. Is that something that you then find out, like from quantitative data? You're, you're... Well, both. you look
1: at quantitative and qualitative, both analytics and you know feedback from surveying and talking to people.
0: What I would like to get a little more detail on is like that process where you merge your original thoughts with, with what you're getting from the users. Like, is there a moment where you get excited by something you hear from users? Is that, is it hard for you to let go of your own ideas?
1: No, I I don't get excited by anything users say specifically. I look it for volume and then I believe in just continual iterative testing and then figuring out, you know, how can you improve the numbers from sign up to actually using it, from using it to referring other people from repeat logins, improving the LTV, I don't think there's one little trick. It's literally a combination of a ton of stuff that adds up. That's how it works with most people.
0: Yeah, so you're talking about this as being a slow process of analyzing data rather than like, uh, you know, we often sort of mythologize this kind of processes. There's this sort of flash and you get, you understand exactly what's going on and you rush to the whiteboard. But you're you're talking about this as being almost a completely different kind of process, uh, an accumulation of trends over time. Am I characterizing that? Does that make sense? It does. But yes, we're
1: looking for a lot of iteration. We're looking for trends, patterns, data, and then we just keep tweaking based off of everything that we're learning.
0: Do you still get excited by new products? Like, do you get excited by new ideas still?
1: I do. I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do and users of many of these like SaaS products and apps do, but. I'm not more so excited being like, oh, this is cool. I'm more so excited when things can change my life.
0: As a serial entrepreneur, like I, I feel like some people really enjoy the beginning of a process of creating something, and some people really enjoy the end of a process of creating something. Like, Which do you feel like you are better at? Like
1: My expertise in, in, in simplistic form is, someone gives me something that's good. I drive traffic and customers. I can optimize conversions and I can optimize for visitors.
0: Cool. Is there anything else you want to say before we, we wrap this up? Uh, that's pretty much it. It was good being on here. Great. Well, it was great to talk to you. Where can people find more about you and the things that you do online?
1: People can find out me online at neilpatel.com, and they can always contact me through there as well.
0: Okay, great. Thanks for being on the show. And yeah, I'll see you online. Tech done right is a production of TableXI and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. I'm at Noel Rapp on Twitter, and TableXI is at TableXI. The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore. You can reach her on Twitter at TheRubyRap. Tech Denwright can be found at techdenwrite.io or downloaded wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech